And many of the people said, This is a hard saying. Who can accept it? And after this, many turned back and no longer followed Jesus. That's the bottom line summary of our gospel text from John chapter 6, verses 60 through 69. There are, however, the twelve disciples whom Jesus asked if they will also turn away. Peter responded for all twelve, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This section of the Gospel is the culmination of the Eucharistic discourse, which we started covering three weeks ago, beginning in John chapter 6, verse 24. As you know, last week we departed from the flow of John chapter 6 in order to celebrate the solemnity of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and as a result, we need to back up in the Gospel of John slightly so we can understand why the followers of Jesus were leaving him. Backing up to verse 51 and then reading through to verse 57, we read, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds, and the word here feeds means to chew and to gnaw, on my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me and I in him. As the Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. That is why the people stopped following Jesus. Jesus told them that he is the bread of heaven. Jesus told them that the bread of heaven is his very flesh and blood. And Jesus told them that they must eat his flesh and drink his blood to have eternal life. The people protested, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? At that point, Jesus did not look at them and say, you don't understand. I'm only speaking symbolically. No, Jesus did the exact opposite. Jesus made sure that the people understood that he was speaking literally. Whoever chews and gnaws on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in them. And this brings us, or this brings us up to the passage from the gospel for today and the response of the people. That response, this is a hard saying, who can accept it? And after this, many turned back and no longer followed Jesus. Again, we have Jesus not stopping them and getting them to return by saying everything he had said was only symbolic. Instead, in John 6, 66, all of those who rejected Jesus' teachings that the bread of heaven is his body and is his blood that we must eat in order to have eternal life, they left him. They rejected Jesus' teaching. And in the process, they rejected Jesus. When the people found the plain and literal teaching of Jesus too difficult to believe, too difficult to understand, 
they left, and Jesus let them go. And as the people walked away, Jesus turned to the twelve disciples and asked if they were going to leave also. Peter responded for all twelve, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. I think we can safely believe that in the back of Peter's mind, he was thinking, we do not understand. How can we possibly eat your flesh and drink your blood? Those others are right. This is a hard saying. But we know you, Jesus, and we trust you. Later, at the Last Supper, the disciples will learn that to eat Jesus' flesh and to drink Jesus' blood is by eating the consecrated bread and wine of the Eucharist. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the scene for us to read. It is there in the upper room where Jesus blessed the bread with the words, This is my body, and blessed the wine with the words, This is my blood. Again, there is no hint of Jesus speaking symbolically. Jesus instead is speaking quite literally. The recently sainted John Henry Cardinal Newman affirms the literal body and blood in the Eucharist by emphasizing the words of the Gospel writer, saying that the three evangelists record our Lord's consecration of the bread in the Holy Eucharist. All three use precisely the same words. This is my body. The secret writers seem to have understood that our Lord's words were too solemn to paraphrase. The theologian Francis Hall also rests his assertion that the Eucharist, being the body and blood of Christ, relies on Jesus' words. Hall remarks, We ought carefully to note that our Lord did not say my body is present in this, but this is my body, and that the consecrated bread and wine are the body and blood of Christ that there is a real presence of Christ's body and blood in the consecrated species. This is logically sound. And today, just like nearly 2,000 years ago, people saying, this is a hard saying, who can accept it? The same is occurring. Because they do not understand it, they reject the plain teaching of Jesus. So in the time we have left, I want to give you two things to consider with the goal of your understanding this mystery more fully. We will not understand the mystery of the Eucharist completely. It would no longer be a mystery. But we can understand it more fully. The first thing to say is that if you believe in the Incarnation, if you can believe that Jesus is both fully God and fully man at the same time, even if you do not understand how it works because that's a mystery in and of itself also, then you can believe that the consecrated bread and wine of the Eucharist are the body and blood of Christ. Now, an illustration. As many of you know, two weeks ago I went to Fort Lee, Virginia to be the guest speaker at the Parachute Rigger School. When I was an enlisted soldier, I was a Parachute Rigger, and to be asked to speak to the newly graduating class was an honor. While I was there at Fort Lee, I visited the On Post Museums. And in the Women's Museum, there is a display of a wedding dress. It's not just an ordinary wedding dress. This dress was made from a white parachute in 1945. It was a parachute. The material is parachute material. 
It was not in any way, shape, or form a wedding dress. Until, at the hands of skilled seamstresses, that parachute was transformed into a wedding dress. The fact that it is, a par that it is parachute material is irrelevant to the reality of the fact that it is a wedding dress. The essence, the form, the very being, or in the words of the theologian Thomas Aquinas, the substance of what it had been, had been transformed from parachute to dress. And the base material, the parachute, had become secondary to the reality of the new substantial reality, wedding dress. Likewise, I do not tell people that I have a pile of wood in my kitchen. I tell people that I have a table in my kitchen. At the ha skilled hands of a craftsman, the base material, wood, is transformed and becomes secondary to the new substantial reality, table. This is, at the basic level, what is happening in the Eucharist. At the hands of the priest, through the words of consecration given to us by Jesus, this is my blood, this is my body, and this is my blood, the base materials, bread and wine, become secondary to the new substantial reality of being body and blood of Jesus. Ah, but you might say, we see the change in the dress and we see the change in the table. We see no change in the bread and the wine. And you are correct. And that is why one must be capable of believing in the incarnation in order to believe in transubstantiation, that transformation of the substantial reality. For everybody living in the time of Jesus who had the opportunity to see and interact with him, they saw a man, flesh and bone, the need to eat and drink, hair that needed to be cut, finger and toenails that needed to be trimmed. If blood type testing was available at the time, the people would know Jesus' blood type matched one of the existing human blood types. And if DNA testing existed at the time, his genetics would, re would reveal that Jesus was 100% human. Now that blood type testing is available, we know that the blood type of the blood in the Shroud of Turin is AB positive. We also know that the blood on the Sudarium of Oviedo, reported to be the burial face cloth of Jesus, is AB positive. And in the various Eucharistic miracles that involve the consecrated wine turning into physical blood, the blood type is consistently proven to be AB positive. For the rarest blood type in the world, that's remarkable, even amazing. And DNA testing does exist today, and the DNA of the shroud has been tested, and it traces to the Druze people, a very small tribe originating in Egypt, who sometime B.C. immigrated into the Middle East. And it's interesting because that may give the reason why, when Mary and Joseph had to flee with the infant Jesus, to get away from the murderous Herod, they fled to Egypt. And returning to that physical humanity of Jesus, every bit of physical evidence tells us that Jesus is fully human, but gives no hint at all that Jesus is God. Yet we know that Jesus is God. We know that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, as a result of the Incarnation, is really 
and fully and completely present in the human person of Jesus. In the same way, when we believe Jesus' words given to us, recorded by John, we know that as a result of transubstantiation, Jesus is really and fully and completely present in the Eucharist. In the Incarnation, Jesus is God. And because of the transubstantiation, the Eucharist is Jesus. Others find this too hard. Because of that, they do not take Jesus at his word and they turn away. We must stand and believe with Peter when he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. Amen.